Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Scriptures this morning comes from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 and extending to verse 9. Please give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pinched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father in heaven, just as we say those words, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We acknowledge that we are a people who don't live by bread, but we are a people who live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Indeed, to come to this moment in the midst of the service to hear your word read and now to be before it as it is explained and set before us as your people is to come before what we need for survival. It is a matter of life. It is a matter of eternity. We would ask, Lord, that in the midst of this moment, as we give our attention over to Genesis chapter 12, that more powerfully... Your attention would be given over to us through the power of your spirit through this word. That you would even now peer into the deficiencies of our souls. That you would look into the state of our being. That you would take inventory of what it is we need to hear and how your grace needs to be portioned out. And that you would, through your inscrutable wisdom and the power of your decree, extend to us exactly what it is that we need. Father, we acknowledge that there is nothing in the world we need more than your presence right now with us. So come and have your way. Let your rule be manifest in our lives. And as we meet with you this day, help us as our father, the patriarch Abraham did, help us to hear and heed your call and to follow 
obediently. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I stayed up last night way too late. Probably turned the last page about 11.30 on this little book of essays by one of my favorite 20th century authors, Alan Jacobs. Some of you will have likely read essays or articles from Jacobs in books and culture years ago or first things, or maybe you know him even best by his magisterial biography of C.S. Lewis, a biography entitled The Narnian. If you have not yet read The Narnian by Alan Jacobs, please rectify that as soon as possible. Maybe even this afternoon on Amazon, go purchase it, get it shipped immediately. Two-day shipping if you're a Prime member. Get it by Tuesday and be able to embark. Even better, get the Kindle version. It's great. It's fantastic. Please read it. Love his writing. Love his essays, which this little book of essays is exactly that. He's entitled them Wayfaring, and part of the reason he has done so is because there's no clear connection between what he says from one essay to the next. He has an essay on bran flakes and the dictionary of Samuel Johnson, for instance. He has an essay by Garrison Keillor that he interacts with the life of trees. He has an essay on Bible translation about the difference between faithfulness to the text and also between more loose interpretations and dynamic translation. He has a wonderful chapter on the attraction of Harry Potter and also deals with a fairly sad chapter on the end of friendship. It's a wonderful little book and you would say, well, what brings all of those seemingly disparate topics together? And he brings them together under that little term, wayfaring. My guess, a term that you probably don't use every day in your vocabulary, you're, you're, you're maybe used to hearing a word more of a, of a spiritual Christian sense, the word pilgrim, the one to be on the way or to fare by foot, to, to walk a path. Um, it's, it's this vision that Alan Jacobs speaks that brings Bran Flakes and Samuel Johnson's dictionary together. Uh, that brings the, uh, the poetry of obscure Eastern writers and, and um, other um, strange um, lives of horticulture and trees dovetailing. That we have to have a vision for the world that actually brings everything together. We have to have an integrating point, something central. Something that helps make sense of all of what appears as we live through life as sort of random occurrences. Uh, we, we, need, we need a pilgrim vision. We need the vision of a wayfarer, one who sees something that he or she is moving towards, who's actually on a mission, a mission that he calls in here, a mission to what the psalmist says in 87, the city of God, the place where we're all really longing to be. What John Bunyan in his great classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, called the celestial city, He says we're all on the journey to that place. We know where it is that we're going. The problem is we're not really sure all the time how to get there. The question is Monday. What are we going to do with Monday? That's really the question. We know that the end has already been written. We know that Revelation 20 and 21, that great city of Jerusalem, that new city that's going to come out of heaven, adorned like a bride who is 
beautiful and ready for her husband. That that one day will be indeed the new heavens and the new earth where you and I will dwell perfect in glory in the presence of the Lord and all will be right as it ought to have been. That we're there in terms of the future but along the way we lose our way. On Monday we're going to get discouraged. Things are not going to go as we wish that they would. We're going, to, we're going to be like Christian. We're going to fall asleep in a little patch of grass along the narrow way and lose a couple of days. Get caught in Vanity Fair and all of the baubles and, and fool's gold of the carnivals of this life that, that rings in the moment to be attractive and loud and beautiful but actually winds up leaving us dissatisfied, more discontent, realizing that there's no eternal significance there. Until we hear someone call us back to the way, the wayfarer, call back to the path, the, the pilgrim. And you know, this is part of the wisdom of why the Lord calls us to this, calls us to worship, calls us to the Lord's day, is because every week we need to hear afresh what we already know and don't really know and are trying to know. And believe and walk according to. Every single week we need to hear again what we know is true. Because it leaks out of us. And the Lord through the power of his spirit renews and continues to reinvigorate. He calls us by his voice. And in fact, he calls us not just simply to walk. But he calls us to march. In fact, that language of march is, is probably more akin to the idea of a, of a pilgrim. Uh, maybe then a, a meandering in the, the, the wilderness or the forest along, along a trail. We are actually a people who are on a mission. The old language was we were the, we're the church militant. We're on mission. We're, in, we're, we're working and laboring within the kingdom of God. We're headed towards a purpose and, and an end. And we would sing, marching to Zion. A beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. That's what we're doing. But when we lose our way, and when we don't hear the drumbeat of that march, and we get stutter-stepped and stumble and trip in the midst of that mission, how is it that we're, we're brought back? How is it that we would advance once again? It's through the call of God. It's through the voice of God. It's through his words coming to us. You can see this throughout the, the pages of Scripture. It starts early on in Genesis chapter 3 when, when God shows up in the cool of the day in the midst of the garden and he says to Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? This is, of course, after they've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they're dodging the vision of God by by hiding out behind trees. But he, through his voice, is calling them out. He's calling them back. He's calling them back to himself, calling them back to the path. And so quickly do we lose our way, very similarly. We see throughout the pages of Scripture as we move on that it's Noah whom the Lord comes to and calls to himself through promises, but we, we see him right after the flood. And right after the commissioning of being fruitful and multiply again, fall into sexual sin and disarray. And we actually end in Genesis chapter 11, as we did a few months ago, with the scene in our heads of Noah's own failure. 
And we look ahead and we see Moses and we see a similar story. God calling him and him walking and then him failing and losing his way. Over and over and over, it's the voice of the Lord that calls us back into the narrow path. It's the Lord through the power of his spirit opening up our ears to really hear his call. As we walk with Abraham this fall together, working through Genesis 12 through 23, it is my prayer, and I pray a prayer you'll enter into with me, that we would hear afresh the call of God upon our lives. We would hear afresh the call of God upon our lives. Indeed, I was reading 1 Samuel 3 this week, and it became my prayer for us as a congregation. You remember that beautiful story. As Samuel, the son of Hannah, given to the Lord, devoted to the Lord, serving with Eli in the temple. There he is laying at night, 1 Samuel 3, asleep, and he hears the voice of the Lord. Samuel, Samuel, and he runs in. He thinks it's Eli. Yes, Eli, what is it? How can I help you? And Eli sounds asleep. Son, why are you waking me up? I'm an old man. I need my rest. Right? He says, go back. I didn't call you. And he goes, three times this happens. And then Eli says, listen, something's going on here. The Lord is speaking to you. Next time you hear your name, I want you to respond. Lord, your servant listens. Lord, your servant listens. I would pray that that would be your prayer this morning and your prayer through this series. Lord, your servant listens. I'm here to hear from you. I'm here to know your call upon my life. I'm here to know what it is that you would have me to know. And many of us would say, well, if he would come to me like he came to Samuel <laughs> in the middle of the night and he spoke and did, I, would probably, I would probably listen. Well, you would listen for a moment just like you do now. But this day when we come to the word of God, it's no different than God speaking into thin air through the ears of Samuel. Than the moment that we read God's word and we study it together, it's the same thing. And the same reality and the same power. Do you realize that today God is calling you to a fresh vision of faith of where he wants to take you? He is coming to you as he would come to Samuel. And he is speaking to you through his word. Now if that's the case, we need to know something about the call of the Lord. We need to know something about the call of the Lord because this whole section of Abraham, this patriarch, this man of faith as he's described, is about listening with your heart rather than walking by the side of the eyes of the head. It's about listening with the heart, truly discerning the truth of the Lord rather than living by the eyes of the head. That's really what this whole text is about. And this call is a call that's significant. And it takes the spiritual insight to be able to see. And so I want you to see today, just as we're entering into this journey, that as the Lord's call comes to you today, there are several things that he's pressing in upon us. And the first is that when his call comes, he is calling us to walk away from some things. That's the first thing that we see in this text. When the Lord's God's call comes, and it's coming right now to you and me, it's coming as it is to Abraham in this text, it's a call that calls us away from certain things. Now, it was very specific what he was calling Abram away from here in the text. You see it there in verse 1. We're told, now, Abram, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred 
and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Three things specifically that the Lord is calling Abram to lead. The first is, I'm calling you to leave the place. I'm calling you to leave your country. I'm calling you to leave the location that you've always known, the place that you've grown up into as a boy, the place where all of your, your memories were forged, the places where all of your formative acts took place. I'm, I'm calling you to leave the country of your upbringing and, and, and to, 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 as it were, turn your back on the place that you've always known, the rolling hills, the meadows, the coffee shops, the restaurants, the places that, that feel like home for you, that remind you of home. I'm, I'm calling you to leave the places that you, you know because I'm going to take you to a new place. But it's deeper than location. I'm calling you to leave your kindred. I'm calling you, in other words, to leave your people. The people who can tell the stories about you. The people who know you best. Who, who, who talk about when you were in the nursery and at VBS and on the ball fields and at the piano recitals. I, I, the, the ones that know everything about the ins and outs. When, when you think you're a big shot and they tell you the foolish stories of your youth just to humble you. Those people. I'm telling you to leave all of your kindred behind. The people that make you in some sense who it is you think that you are. I'm telling you to leave them behind. But it's even deeper than that. I'm telling you to leave your family. I'm telling you to go away from your father's house. To depart from those who literally you owe your life to, humanly speaking. The people who brought you into the world and raised you. I'm telling you to leave it all behind. Now I want you to see in, in this call, this call is not just about place and it's not just about people and it's not just about family. By rolling those three into the call that comes forth from Abram, God is actually saying in this Near Eastern culture, in the time of Abraham's life, he's saying, Abraham, I want you to leave your whole life behind. I want you to leave your whole life behind. Everything that's ever been familiar, everything that you've ever known, I want you to hit the road and I want you to leave it behind. He's actually saying to him, Abram, the ways in which you have known yourself, the ways in which you would describe yourself, the people whom you've always been in community with, the labels that you've always used to identify yourself, I want you to leave your whole life behind and I'm going to give you an entirely new identity. And the identity that I'm going to give to you is going to be lodged not in people, places, or things. It's going to exist on my word. Your whole identity is going to hinge on my call. My call to your life. Now if we could put it in updated language, it means that he's calling you to leave your career. He's, he's calling you to, to leave your, your neighborhood and, and your home. He's calling you to leave your, your, your parents and safe environs. He's calling you to leave everything behind and he's calling you to do it by virtue of his word alone. To wrap your whole life around his word. It's because God doesn't want the identity of Abram, God doesn't want the life of Abram to be wrapped up 
in locations or in associations. But he wants it wrapped up in God himself. Wrapped up in God alone. Gilbert Mylander in a beautiful little book called The Way That the Lord Leads. It's a book on Augustine. He writes this. He says, It's only by hearing and answering the divine summons, by participating in the divine calling, that we come to know who it is that we are. We are not who we think we are. We are who God calls us to be. That's who we are. Now in this first point, the things that we have to walk away from, part of what God is really drilling into us, so we keep pace with Abraham. What what are the ways that we like to think about ourselves? What are the descriptors that we take pride in? What are the identity markers that we share? What are the personality traits that we have sort of assumed about ourselves? What are the main descriptors when you meet someone that you want them to learn about you first? Are those things that you share, are those things most central? Do they align with the call of God in the Word? Do they align with the call of God in the Word? Have you primarily identified and defined your existence by the Word and the call of God? That's what this question is really raising. If Abraham is the archetype of the man of faith, and that's what Paul says in Romans 4, then we men and women of faith, boys and girls of faith who follow Christ, must also find our identity in the call of God. What He has called us to be. This is what it is we've got to move away from. And what the Lord is calling us to identify right now in the midst of this worship service. What are the things that are vying? What are the voices that are larger and louder in our heads? Than the voice of God who defines our identity and our call. But secondly, there's something we are to walk towards. Now this is where we usually get excited. Okay, These are the things we have to leave behind. But what is it we're going to get? What is it that we're, we're moving towards? I was just yesterday speaking with someone who's leaving Middle Tennessee. They were sad. They got a job in California. It's a great job. They were sad to leave their home, their friends, and, and the life that they had made here. But they're going to a great job. Pays a lot more money. It's in San Diego. They have incredible weather. They can drive to the mountains and the beach in a day. Like, It's awesome. They're really excited about that. And so they're like, oh, we're really sad to leave all these things, but look at where it is that we're going. I had a friend a few years ago who was sharing with me about a missionary call that another friend of his was going to have, his acquaintance that we both shared. And he said, you know, he's thinking about leaving that post. He, you know, oh, I didn't know that. He's had a long, fruitful ministry. I was sad to hear that. And I said, well, where is he thinking about going? Hawaii. Oh. I was feeling for him before I heard he was going to Hawaii of the challenge of the transition, then I realized that, oh, where it is he's going kind of um, satisfies some of the pain of what it is you're going to have to leave behind. What's interesting in the call of God as it comes to Abram is it doesn't come in that way at all. What it is that Abram is actually moving toward is not clear. Verse 1, we're told that God tells him to go toward a land that I will show you. 
Go toward a land that I will show you. Oh, I, I tried this week to reflect on what it would be like to be, to be Sarai's husband, Abram. Honey, I think we should pack up everything and just go where it is that God is leading us. Abram, what are you going to do for work? I have no idea. How will we pay for all? I have no certainty. I'm just thinking that would not go over well in the Sheridan home. If Nate came with this game plan for the future, how we would do things. We're just going to go to where it is that the Lord is going to show us. This, this act of faith, this act of being called into obedience without the clarity of what it is you're going to get. You don't know if it's a desert. You don't know if it's a forest. You don't know if it's oceanfront property. You have no idea what it is that you're going to be walking towards. Why is it that God, at the initial call of obedience in faith for Abram, doesn't tell him where it is that he's going? It's because God loves Abram so much. He knows the heart of Abram. It's like our heart. Our tendency, isn't it, whenever we're in the midst of transition, we're leaving things behind that were kind of our handholds in life, kind of our, our life we made that we were embedded in and we feel comfortable there. And when we're in transition, we want to, as quickly as possible, get all those handholds back. Find us a house, find us the friends, find us the communities. Where are we going to be? Because we don't like living in pilgrim status in between, the gap in between the promise and the reality. You know, like living in that space. We want to get someplace where we're settled. And what God knows in his wisdom as he looks at Abram is he's just going to quickly trade the idols of Haran and the Ur of Chaldees for the idols of Canaan. He'll get there and he'll get his life all made and he'll immediately begin to dream about what it will look like with the picket fence and the 2.3 children and, and the dream. And all along the way, completely forget his God. You see, the question of this text as we're moving toward is not Canaan. That's not what we're really moving towards at this point. You know where we're moving? Toward God. God is where we are going. God is our dwelling place, Moses writes in Psalm 90, in all generations. The call of this text, what Abram is really moving towards, is God. Here, let me put it this way. The question is not where God is leading Abram at this point. The question is, will Abram trust the God who leads? That's the question. Will Abram trust the God who leads, no matter where he leads, no matter where he goes, will he trust him? I love the way John Calvin put it. John Calvin getting, as it were, in the character of God himself, speaking to Abram. He says, I command you to go forth with closed eyes. I command you to go forth not with your eyes. But with closed eyes, I forbid you to inquire about where it is I will lead you. Until having renounced all, you are wholly mine. Until having renounced all, you are wholly mine. Until then, I don't want to show you anything. Because the question is, will you trust the God who leads and not simply trust him because of where he's leading you? You know, this is a big question, isn't it? 
Do you trust God because he gets you good things? Or you have found him to be profitable and a nice resource? Or do you love God because he's God and because he loves you? Would you love him if he wiped out your life? Is he to you such a treasure as that? Because here he is wiping out Abram's life. And he is calling him to live within the call of God. To find his identity within the words of God. You see, Christianity, friends, is not like, well, what we've been doing lately in the Sheridan home, which is, which is buying clothes for school, right? It's that season of the year. And apparently we need um, brown skirts for school this year because they've been arriving at our home in copious amounts. And it has been a rhythm that these skirts do not fit they just do not fit. There are no brown skirts that fit. The wonderful thing in the world that we live in today is, it's okay, we're just going to send them back, right? And they're going to give us our money back. It's great. We just send it back. The call of God is not like that. It is not like, okay, God, I'll try it on. Let, let me see. Let me see. Does it fit? It's a little big. I think I'll go with another call, right? doesn't work that way. Christianity, very similar to the way marriage works, you have to commit on the front end to get on the inside of it, to even know what it is. To even know what it is. Now the reason for that is that it's a treasure so precious that it's not, you can't try it on. It's a rich so deep that you must commit to it before you can possess it. And the one who is only trying on Christianity has never tried it, doesn't know what it is. Because only on the inside of the commitment is it known. Abram is called to go to a place that the Lord will show him. He is called to go to a place wherever that place is because it's there where God will be. It reminds me so much of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10. He who says he's not willing to leave his father or his mother or his sister is not worthy to be my disciple. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Do you see, it's this radically committed identity to the call of God that ultimately leads us into the blessing of God. You see, verse 1 precedes verse 2. The call of God precedes this blessing of God. Notice the blessing. It's really somewhat uh, it, what we would put in, in the Hebrew, the way we would look at it in the language, is it's a chiastic in its structure. It's cross-form. It's parallel. God is calling Abram to leave the place where his name is known. You know, it was cheers. Everybody knew his name. He was... He was known in Haran, in Ur of the Chaldees. Everybody knew him. His family was there. He's called to go to a place where he's a no-name. He, he, he knows all the people. He's got all of the relationships. He's going to go to a place where he doesn't know anybody. And he has no family. And what's God going to do when he gets there? He's going to give him a great name. That which he takes away from Abram, 
He's going to give back to Abram. That's going to be a different name. It's going to be Abraham. He's actually going to change his name. He's going to change his name according to God's call. He's going to name him according to his call. He's going to be known by his call. He's going to be a great name. He's going to be a blessing what? To all the families of the earth. He just lost all his family. The Lord's going to give him all the families of the earth as, as an extension of his loins. What God is taking away, God always gives back in greater proportion than that which he took away. Now, it may not look the same. It may not feel the same. But he always gives it back. He gives it back tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. And here he gives it consistent with the covenant promises of which Abraham is named by. And so as he moves away, he moves towards these blessings. And he does it by faith. But you know, this is what's really quite remarkable is not only is he moving away from something and moving towards something, is he's got to learn how, how to move away from something and towards God's call. So the, the third thing we're looking at is how is he going to walk? All right, we move away from this, we move towards this, but how do we walk as we move towards it? Like what's the, what's the trajectory of, of that journey? And, and, and what it is that's really quite remarkable is that we see Abraham in this passage. Right there in verse four, he immediately follows the word of the Lord. It's an, how does he walk? He walks obediently. He, he walks immediately. The sense of the text is an urgency. It's a quick response of obedience. Is that he hears the call of the Lord, he recognizes the call of the Lord, and he answers the call of the Lord obediently. And then what else do we see in the text? Well, we see he's all the time building altars. He's all the time, when he gets to the land of Canaan that, that he doesn't, he's never even seen before, he gets there, God reveals to him, I'm going to give this land to you, and what does he do? He builds an altar. What, what does he do? He walks worshipfully. Not only does he walk obediently, he walks worshipfully. Immediately, as the Lord shows that his promises are true, he begins to turn his attention to, uh, vertically. And he begins to say, only because of your gracious gift, Lord, is this is so. I'm going to offer you the worship that you deserve. But as he walks obediently and as he walks worshipfully, you know what else he does? He walks evangelistically. We see it in the context of the text. Right there in verse 5, we're told that Abram was acquiring people as he went along the way. As he left from Haran, he acquired people. Now, we could read that and we could say he probably purchased some slaves. That would be one way culturally to understand it. But when you look at the context of 12, 1 through 9, you see later in verse 8, that he sacrifices to the Lord and we're told that he proclaims the name of the Lord or he calls out upon the name of the Lord. The language there is literally preaching. That Abram went proclaiming to those in whom he was surrounded by that I have been called by the Lord to answer his covenant promises. Join me in the journey. Go with me in the good thing that the Lord is doing. He's a man who is going obediently, worshipfully, and evangelistically. Now, here's what's remarkable. He's doing all that, and guess what? He is never really going to see any of these promises fulfilled in his lifetime. He's never really going to see these promises fulfilled in his own lifetime. He barely sees the birth of his own son, which is just the beginning of the promises that the Lord is going to do. How in the world 
could you be evangelistic, worshipful, and constantly obedient when years, decades go by and nothing seems to happen? Do you know it's 40 years between the time they tell Abram and Sarah about Isaac coming to the point that it actually takes place? I don't, did you catch it in the text? He's 75. I mean, in our terminology, he, he should be retired, sitting on the front porch, drinking sweet tea, watching somebody do his yard. And he's going on mission. He's going on mission. And it's going to be 40 more years before anything visually is going to change in any way. And he's worshipful, he's evangelistic, and he's obedient. How, how is that possible? Okay. Hebrews 11 shines light on this. Hebrews 11 tells us with Abraham that as he went, in the ways that he went, he went not really looking to Canaan. Not really looking to the people of Israel who are going to come later in Exodus and the unfolding of the nation state. He didn't know any of those things. He's never going to see those things. What Abram saw, according to the writer of Hebrews is he saw a city whose maker and builder was God. He saw a city whose maker and builder was God. In other words, he saw not with physical eyes in time and space fulfillment in his lifespan. He saw with an eternal vision. He was seeing through the promises of God, through as it were the land of Canaan, through as it were to the revelation of the writings of John that weren't even written at the time, to the fact that God will be faithful to all of his promises. The fact that he can trust the God who leads no matter where it is he leads him, no matter whether he ever sees the fulfillment of the promises that he's given. That faithfulness to Abram was to trust the promises of God, raise his family and be faithful in the moment, and die and go to be with his God. And along the way, build altars and share the story of the good news of God and every command that God gives to obey. Friends, if you're wondering what walking in the call of the God looks like, it looks just like that. It looks just like that. Worship, obedience, evangelism, looking to the city whose maker and builder is God. That's what it looks like. That's what the call of faith is like. So if you're not seeing instantaneous fruit, in your life, if things are not turning out exactly like you'd planned them, join the club. This has been happening a long time in walking with the Lord. And it'll keep happening. And in God's kindness, I want you to see what he's doing. The fact of the matter is, most of us, he can't trust by giving us too much. Because we'll start trusting in the much. And so he has to take it away from us and not give it to us so that we don't give ourselves over to it and we learn to give ourselves to him. And that's because he loves you. He loves you. It's, it, you haven't not gotten that job because he doesn't, doesn't love you or hadn't found that spouse because he doesn't, he doesn't love you. The things that seem so difficult and are so challenging, and maybe the things right now that cause crisis even in your life, I want you to know they are the benevolent hand of a God who's got everything in the palm of his hand and is working it perfect in his timing. 
Now we're going to learn, in case you're wondering, we're going to learn that it wasn't always clear for Abram as it was here in 12, 1 through 9. He's going to forget this over and over and over again. And you know what he's going to need to hear? Where are you? Where are you, Abram? Come back to me. And it could be this morning that the most profound thing that the Lord is saying to you is where are you today? Come back to me. Come back to me. The call of the Lord is upon you. Listen to his voice. Obey, worship, evangelize. And contrary to popular opinion, you will find what you're looking for. Father in heaven, we would ask that you would lead us there. Lead us to the rock that is higher than I. Marching upward to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. Marching upward to Zion. The city of our God. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have tried to find heaven here. And we've looked for the divine in the human. And we have found ourselves at a loss. Shake the foundations of our false kingdoms. Unbuild our lives as needed in order that the kingdom of God might be built in us and that it might be built through us. God, by your grace, give us the vision of faith to walk by that faith and not by sight until faith turns to sight. And prayer turns to praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.